Let's pray together for a minute before we open God's Word. We are thankful that you are the good, good Father. We are thankful for your protection, for the provision that you give us each day, for your care and comfort. Thank you, Father, for watching over us. We are thankful to be a part of your family. And we ask now by your Holy Spirit that you would just open our eyes to the truth. Help us to see what it means and how it applies to our lives. I pray that we would be changed people as a result of our being together today. In Christ's name, amen. Well, from the I promise you I'm not making this up file, how many people have ever heard of Pocket God? Pocket God is one of the top-selling games on the App Store for iPhone. Let me just read you the description. This is right from the App Store. What kind of God would you be? Benevolent or vengeful? Play Pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. You can bring new life and then take it away just as quickly. Exercise your powers on the islanders. Lift them in the air. Alter gravity. Hit them with lightning because you're the island God. Can you believe this? You can throw islanders into a volcano. You can bowl for islanders with a rock. You can do whatever you want. Kind of gives you a glimpse of people's view of God, doesn't it? Uh, the Huffington Post ran an article a little while ago, and they were comparing childhood fears and adult fears. They said, children fear doctors, adults feel doctor bills. Children fear having bad dreams, adults fear having unfulfilled dreams. Children fear strangers, adults have social anxiety. Uh, children fear clowns, and adults... Uh, well, fear clowns. <laughs> so I guess even though we get older and hopefully a little wiser and a little more mature, we still have fear, don't we? We still wrestle with things that we are unsure of. And it's all made more difficult. It's all exacerbated when the ground beneath us doesn't feel solid. And that's kind of where we are right now. Nothing feels quite Sure, we don't, we don't know what's happening. We don't know what the next press conference is going to reveal, the next statement from the governor's office or from the White House. But what we're dealing with right now actually is not unprecedented. Some of you have probably been reading, like I have, about the global flu pandemic of 1918. Sometimes it was, it's called the Spanish flu. If you think about the timing of when that happened, it started just as World War I was ending. Actually, some of the first instances of the Spanish flu were amongst regiments of soldiers who were still on the battlefield. So imagine four years of world war and all that devastation, and then this flu pandemic. Now, it ended up that over the next several months of that, that 50 million people died around the world, 600,000 plus just here in the United States. Now, that, that's not happening here. We're not experiencing that. This certainly is serious. A lot of people are getting sick, and, and a lot of folks have died for sure, but we're not facing quite that kind of devastation. A huge issue that I do feel that we are dealing with, however, in our modern world is fear. Of course, there's a fear of getting sick, there's a fear of dying or someone we love being affected in that way. 
But there's more than that. There's a, a fear of loss of income, a fear of losing our jobs, perhaps a fear of food shortages or a loss of civil liberties or a fear of uh, social unrest. All of those things have been experienced before and we can be fearful that they're going to happen again. I think it's helpful for us to note something that John Piper said just a few days ago when he was addressing this. Uh, I was reading something that he had written and he said, the past is warning not fate. What does he mean by that? He means just because something happened this way in the past doesn't mean that it has to happen this way again. However, we must not forget all that's taken place. We must learn from it. And I believe that we can look at this situation, we can look at God's word, and we can learn. The past is warning, not fate. And what I want you to be thinking about with me this morning over the next few minutes that we have together is that intimacy with God brings freedom from fear. Intimacy with God brings freedom from fear. And we're going we're gonna to read together Psalm 91. Now, Psalm 91 is very well known, and maybe some of you are familiar with it. Maybe you've read it. Um, actually, the best scholarship tells us that we don't know who wrote the psalm. Now, you may have your Bible there this morning. You may say a psalm of David or a psalm of Moses, but we really don't know who wrote it. And so we don't know exactly what was going on while it was being written. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that might be beneficial for us here. Because instead of picturing what was going on when it was written, let's think about what's going on right now in our own lives, okay? So the verses are going to come up on the screen from Psalm 91, those 16 verses. And I want to try something a little bit different here this morning. I'm going to read them, of course, for you, but I want you to read them where you are. If you're sitting on the couch with the family, or you're laying in bed, or you're on your camp chair on the back lawn, wherever you are, let's read them together as they come up on the screen. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion, and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wow, there is so much truth here. Uh, I hope you're comfy because we could be here a while. <laughs> I want to notice three things in this passage, and I want you to track with me through all three because they're really importantly connected, okay? Here's the three things. We're going to see proximity, protection, and promise. I didn't try to alliterate that. Sometimes it just happens, okay? So here's the first part, proximity or closeness. And I want you to notice the terminology that the psalmist uses here. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The word shelter there is fascinating to me. It means a, literally a covered place, or it could mean a hiding place, or here's my favorite part. It carries with it the idea of a secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. It's hard for me to believe, but when we built our house, Gavin was just eight years old. And some of you, of course, are not familiar with our house, but we have a cape style. And it has two dormers on the front. And if you've ever been in a cape or lived in a cape, you know that when you put those dormers out there, it gives you these weird little corners that look like wasted space. And when I was framing up the upstairs of our house, I saw these corners and I said, man, we need to use those for something. That's good storage. And so we made one that we put all of our winter boots and shoes in when we don't need them. And we made another one that we put all our suitcases in. But one of the others, I insulated and I sheetrocked and I put a little piece of carpet in there and we called it Gavin's Corner. And Gavin would go in there and he had stickers and little pictures on the wall and he had books and toys. And uh, knowing Gavin, he probably had some snacks squirreled away in there too. But he would go into Gavin's corner and he would shut the door and he would just be in there by himself. And he would play and read and you could hear him talking in there. But uh, I even put a little lock on the door so he could go in and close it and slide the bolt so that nobody else could come in. That was, that was his spot. And when the psalmist says, the one who dwells in the secret place, I was wondering, what's the secret place of the Most High? I want to suggest to you that it's the place of intimacy that you share with God. Your secret place is different from my secret place. Your secret place is that time that you spend with God, where you go to be with him, and where only you share with God what's on your heart and what's in your mind. Well, he also says that he who dwells in the shadow uh, of the Almighty. Now again, see the closeness. I mean, you've got to be pretty close to somebody if you're going to enjoy any shelter in someone's shadow. That's proximity as well. He says, my refuge, my fortress. The word refuge really means a shelter from the storms. And I'm sure that you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had that crazy storm with all that wet, heavy snow and, and the wind and the rain and the sleet. And I know some of you lost power for even a couple of three days. 
while that was going on, I was sitting in my living room on the couch, and I was reading this psalm. I was studying for this message two weeks ago when that was happening. And I was reading these words, and I was looking out the window, and I was thinking, I am so thankful I have some shelter. Can you imagine being outside in that crazy storm? And that's what the psalmist says. You're that kind of shelter for us, God, in the crazy storms of life. So we have four words that really talk about the protection that God gives us in this proximity and this closeness. But did you notice when I read those verses for you that there were also four names for God there? First of all, he calls God the Most High. In Hebrew, this is one word, and it's simply highest. There's no one higher than him. Then he says, dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. There is no one mightier than him. And then he calls God Lord. This is the word that we transliterate into English, and sometimes we say Yahweh. Sometimes we say Jehovah. But in Hebrew, this word is unpronounceable. The Jews would not say this name for God because they believed it emphasized his holiness. No one is holier than him. And then he says, my God. See that personal connection there? That is the word Elohim. No one is quite like you, God. Can I ask you a question? Do you know God by name? Do you have that kind of intimacy with God? What do you call him? Names speak of intimacy. Now, you know, most of you that are watching, that my wife's name is Melody. When I'm praying for Melody, I call her my Melody. <laughs> That's probably not politically correct, I don't know. But my Melody, she is God's gift to me. Now, when I'm talking to her, sometimes I call her MJ because of her middle name. Sometimes I call her Pumpkin or Sweet Pea. Or Now that I think of it, she doesn't really like those names. I'm always calling her something different. I call her Honey, Love, all of those things because of the relationship that we share. We have this intimacy. We have this closeness. Names reveal intimacy. They reveal what you believe or what you know or what you feel. This intimacy is deliberate. It's, there's a purposeful drawing near between the Christ follower and his or her God. This intimacy is it's developed over time. I didn't always call Melody those names. When I first met her, I didn't, I didn't call her those things. In fact, when I first met her, I, I hardly even dared to talk to her because I was so nervous. And the same can be true of our relationship with God. When it's new and fresh, we're nervous. We don't have that closeness. But as we draw closer, as we progressively become more familiar with God, more intimate with God, as we release the things that are in our hearts, this takes place over time. 
It took place over time in my own relationship with God. I had known God a long time before I really developed this closeness. And I have to say that some of the events in my life that encouraged this proximity were the more difficult things that I experienced. When we lost our son, when we lost Melody's dad, through all of the things that, that she has struggled with, with her health, when I pour out my heart to God of, in regard to my own self-doubt, my own fears, that is the intimacy that develops over time. When I pour out the pain of my heart in the secret place, can I ask you this, friends? Do you have that kind of secret place with God? Do you, do you draw near? Do you pour out your heart? Do you know God by name? I want you to notice the next 11 verses really talk about the protection that we have in God that is found in him. And this protection is for those who draw near. It's proximity first and then protection and there is so much here, we just we don't have time to talk about all of it, but I want to just draw your attention to a few things. First of all, in verse number three, he talks about the snare of the fowler. Uh, the, this is a metaphor for the different kinds of traps and temptations and intestines that we can fall prey to. Uh, the word snare here carries with it the idea of a baited trap something that is put there to, to lure the prey in. And that's how we feel sometimes with the temptations that we face with Satan. But I want you to notice also in that verse that he talks about the deadly pestilence. <laughs> that word actually literally means plagues, which is interesting for the situation that we're in right now. He will deliver you from the deadly pestilence. Uh, in verse 4, he talks about the pinions or, or feathers or wings and finding shelter under his wings. And there's another metaphor here of the mother bird gathering her young. Uh, Dean Walker does some research for Tim and I for our messages, and he sent me, he knew I was speaking on this, and he knew that verse was there, and so he sent me an article 23 ways that birds use their feathers. It was amazing to think about all of them. I mean, birds use their feathers obviously for flying, but for swimming and for cleaning themselves and for uh, protection and camouflage and lining their nests and, and feeding their young. There's all of these uses. And the picture here is of, of the mother bird who has all of their chicks and pulling them in tight pulling them in close so that they might be protected from the elements or from predators. And in these next few verses, you can see that we are protected from all kinds of danger. But I want to draw your attention to verse number 10. Let me read it just for you again quickly. Verse 10 says, No evil shall be allowed to befall you, and no plague come near your tent. And then he goes on to say that God will even use the angels to help care for you. Now, we have to stop right here for a minute because I know some of you are sitting there and saying, wait a second, what are you talking about? None of this will come near me? None of this is going to affect me? That's not true. My life stinks. My life is difficult. And you're dealing with something right now. You may be sitting there thinking, 
my spouse cheated on me, or my child has a disease or has even died, or I've lost my job, I've, I've declared bankruptcy, I, I struggle with anxiety and mental illness, or I have cancer, or I have people that are slandering me. How can you possibly say that none of this will come near me? I want you to understand something as we walk through this in the next few minutes. Satan would love to have you believe that the words of the psalm mean that if you love God and God loves you, then nothing difficult will ever happen in your life. That's what he wants you to believe. So that when something difficult does happen, and it will, because life is difficult for everyone, so that when it does happen, you will say, I guess God doesn't really love me, or I guess God doesn't keep his promises. Or you may even think, there must be something wrong with me. So what does this mean? Well, we get a little insight into what this means. Actually, over in the book of Luke, Jesus is speaking. He's preparing his disciples to go out. He is about to go to the cross. He's preparing to send them out with the gospel, with the Great Commission. And I want you to hear how he describes what their lives are going to be like. In Luke 21, verse 16, he says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated for my name's sake but not a hair of your head will perish. Wait, what? Some of you will be put to death? You will be hated, but not a hair on your head will be harmed? What is he talking about? The very next verse, Luke 21, 19, says this. By your endurance you will gain your lives. When the deadly storms of life, when the difficulties, when the plagues, when the snares come into our sphere of influence, come into our lives, we think, I'm losing my life. I'm losing everything that matters. I'm losing what I care about. Jesus says, no, no, you're not losing your life because this life is not about collecting and getting and just simply enjoying everything this life has to offer. No, friends, for the Christ follower, this life is about being prepared for the real life that is to come eternal life. We've talked about this many times. We've talked about the importance of perspective. And what I want you to just be thinking about as we go through these last few verses is that God wants to use all of the events of your life. He wants to use everything that's happening right now to shape you, to mold you, to grow and strengthen your character so that you will be the person that he wants you to be. 
That's what he's talking about here. And I want you to look at the last couple of three verses of this great psalm and see the promise. I want to read these last three verses for you again, 14 to 16. They're so powerful. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Wait, did you notice that? There's a switch. Now God is talking. Before it was the psalmist saying, you need to draw close. You need to enjoy God's protection. Now God steps in and he is talking. Because he holds fast to me, God says in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What wonderful promises. Did you notice in those verses six times God says what? I will, I will, I will. He repeats it six times. I will care for him. I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will honor him. I will rescue him. And then in that last verse, he says, with long life, I will satisfy him. That's another wait, what moment, isn't it? <laughs> what? We all know people who have loved and served God who have not lived a long life. What does this mean? Friends, what we are promised here is not absolute safety and protection from every difficult circumstance or thing that comes along. We're not promised that we're all going to live to age 95. But what we are given is a promise of protection and care and comfort. And what we are promised is that we will have every day that God has planned for us. It will not be cut short. Your life will not be cut short of what God has planned for you from before the beginning of time. In Psalm 139, David there says, all your days are written in his book. Man, I don't know what tomorrow is going to be, but God knows what tomorrow is going to be for me. And he has promised that every one of those days, he will walk with me. He will protect me. He will care for me. He will be with me. Intimacy with God brings freedom from fear. So how do we respond to this? What do we do? I want to challenge you with just three simple things here that we need to be doing in response to what we've learned from this passage. Here's the first one. Can I challenge you to be vulnerable? Can I challenge you to be willing to say, I'm struggling, or I'm scared? I'm struggling with all of this that's happening. Or I know the six weeks, I don't know if it has for you, but for me, the six weeks has seemed like an eternity. We all had lives before all this was happening. And maybe yours was a difficult one. Maybe you already had 
a life struggle that you were trying to wrestle with before even this was added on top of it. But whatever it is for you, would you be willing to be vulnerable? I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Be honest. Take your social media face off. Don't just try to make it look good for everybody that's watching. Be vulnerable. Here's my second challenge for you. Be humble. That's different from being vulnerable. Being vulnerable is saying, I'm scared. Being humble is willing is being willing to say, I can't do this. I can't do this by myself. I need help. This is real life. This is hard to do. This is the real world, and a few memes and a few Instagram quotes aren't going to cut it. We need real help. Be humble. And here's a third challenge for you this morning. Ask for help. Ask for help. If you're a part of a small group, ask your small group leader. Let them know what's going on and ask for help. If you have someone else in your life that you know loves God and is mature in the scripture and in the truth, ask them for help. But ultimately, do you know what we have as Christ followers? Hebrews chapter 4 says that we have access to the throne of grace where we can find help in our time of need. Be vulnerable, be humble, and ask for help. Ask God to strengthen you. Ask God to be your refuge, to have that comfort and strength that only he can give. Develop that intimacy with him. Go into the secret place where you pour out your heart before God. God is our protector. He is greater than all of this. He will provide all that we need. He is our provider.